another episode of the Dial In Podcast. It's me, your good friend, CQ The Watch Guy. I hope you're having a great day today. Um, wherever you are out there in the world, hope you're staying safe, uh, staying warm if it's cold outside, staying cool if it's a little hot outside. I uh, hope you're just, you know, having a good time wherever you are. All right, well, thank you again for um, coming back to the second episode of uh, the Dial In Podcast. So the first one was more of like an intro episode. This one, I want to get into just a little bit more of the meat and potatoes of what the podcast will be about. And basically, I just want it to be a lighthearted educational space where we can talk about watches. You guys can tell me what... Um, topics you want to cover what questions you have there's no such thing as a stupid question is like probably be like on my tombstone i really believe that so no such thing as a stupid question um please uh feel free to you know email me cq at the watchbox.com put in the subject dial in podcast and then um ask away and let me know you know if i can use your name if you want some type of handle or something so i can give you recognition with your question but uh tell me yeah tell me what you guys want to talk about what you want to hear me talk about what kind of guests you like to see on the show and um, all that good stuff. So today, I really wanted to, um, uh, you know, you know, it's, it's today's the last day of February, so we're we're two two months into twenty twenty one. Few, um, I don't know if you call them controversies, but as usual, the watch world has things to talk about, uh, and a few interesting. The most interesting one um, that happened to me is the Zena Chrono Master Sport. And it's not so much what happened with the releasing of the watch. First of all, I want to say I think it's a great watch. I think it was a great um, decision by Zenit to make this watch. Zenit has been like on fire for the past, uh, you know, couple of years. For the past, like last year, they did really good. Um, let's see if I can. They did um, the the Zenit Defy Twenty One Ultraviolet, probably one of their best releases last year. One of the most beautiful purple watches I've ever seen. Uh, the Chrono Master Revival Shadow was a great piece. Did a couple Chrono Master revivals. Had the Type Twenty uh, Blueprint, which was a really sick looking watch. And uh, this year they already had some great stuff too. Um, Revival A Three Eighty Five, which is really nice. Um, the Type Twenty Sterling Silver, which is a watch that's definitely on my radar. Really beautiful dial, and the D Five Twenty One Urban Jungle, which is D Five Twenty One with green ceramic, looks really really sick. Zena has been really good at just kind of having fun with the up premier movements and upgrading them, and just doing all type of unique watches, especially in the past couple of years. And really been, you know, taking a little page out of the Hugo book of let's have fun with our designs. Let's make. At the end of the day, we know Zenit makes great movements, and we know they powered so many of the great watches in history and currently. By the way, there's so many brands today that use Zenit movements. It's just not, you know, you got to do a little bit of research, but there's, um, you know, the, the Hublot, um, Spirit Big Bang, that's El Primero movement. There's a few Bulgari uh, chronographs use El Primero movements. Um, of course, they're all in the same group, but still, it's many, many... Um, uh, brands use those movements because at the end of the day, it's still one of the best chronograph movements out there, and they're great. They're great manufacturer. Um, so what's funny is like uh, you know, there Zena is that songwriter that you know that people, you know, people listen to your music through other other people's uh, voices. If that if that makes sense, you know, they're they're like JLC in that way, and where they 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 get the respect they deserve, but they don't get the respect they deserve in terms of people actually buying them or. Pr- them at retail, I should say, or close to retail pricing or in the retail environment. Pre-owned, they, they do pretty well. Um, Zena has always kind of moved pretty well um, in places that I've been because, again, they, at the end of the day, they're really nice, cool watches um, and they're great movements and, they, you know, they're, they're, at retail price, they're not too expensive and you usually could get um, a little bit of a discount or a lot of discount depending on the watch and where you are and where you're buying and, and all that good stuff. But what I find interesting is when... Um, 
when the Xenochrome Master came out, there was such a like a, a, a visceral uproar almost on, on both sides, on people saying like, hey, you know, this looks just like a Daytona. I can't believe Zenith's doing this, this homage watch. First of all, yes, it looks it looks like a Daytona. But, you know, I was watching um, a few comments on, on YouTube and a, a few YouTube videos. And if you do change the bezel around, it, you know, they take the serum bezel off and it changes the look. But I don't care if it looks exactly like a Daytona because it's Zenith, right? Zenith made um, the movements for Daytona for a long time. I don't know why Rolex hasn't done like a the anniversary edition with Zenith using a few Zenith movements. I mean, uh, Tudor used some Breitling um, chronographs movements in their watches. I think it would have been an easy win on both sides. Maybe let Zenith sell some of those watches and it gives Rolex, you know, a little bit of pressure off of the weightless scenario. Now, another thing that... um uh it was kind of swirling around there's a lot of people saying like well you know this is zenith's attempt to have people buy this instead of a daytona and avert the waitlist first of all i don't think anybody's gonna buy this instead of a daytona i think if people enjoy zenith if they enjoy chronographs and they enjoy this watch they'll buy this watch but i don't think anybody who wants a daytona is gonna say hey i'll get the zenith instead of the daytona there are probably people who have both because the daytona is such a thing that's volatile in value you might wear this as like hey i can wear this and nobody you know it's not a thirty thousand dollar watch you know that was a thirteen thousand dollar watch a ten thousand dollar watch that you know, it's going to stay relatively the same. And, you know, the, the other side is people saying, well, don't buy this watch because it's going to be heavily discounted, um, you know, and you're going to see it for 7500 or 6000 um, on Chrono on eBay very, very soon. And, and that's probably the part that, that troubled me the most um, in, in all the things that I saw. Because uh, it's just like, you know, at, at a certain point, we have to start paying for these brands if you want these brands the brands that are have been here for a long time the brands that you know keep trying and trying and keep giving the skew after skew and they keep listening to us and they keep having fun things and they keep investing in research and development at a certain point you got to pay for the brands right of course you know you want a little bit of discount if you're a good um client of that dealer you should get a little bit of a discount on any watch in, in my opinion um but we got to stop taking the attitude of you know every watch in, in certain brand categories like Zenith should be 30 off or 25 percent off watches because then we never get out of the hole right we never get out of the situation of where you know the mass of uh people who are in the watch uh community who are newer um, go for just, you know, the, the blue chip stocks, go for the AP, they go for the, the paddocks, go for the Royal Oak because they're so tied up into value. But the reason they're tied up into value is because, they you know, they see the big dips on the pre-owned market. The only way that this stops and you know, it, it, I, I am in the pre-owned watch business, I sell new watches as well. So it, it's where he says, but you, you know, you, you. We have to start respecting certain brands or paying a little bit up for certain brands on the models that, that are good. So, for instance, when I, when I heard that, and it's so funny, people thought it'd be, they'd be going so low. So, if you go on Chrono 24 now, the low, the lowest Xena Chrono Master Sport right now is 97.28 on a bracelet in Hong Kong, uh, 98.77 uh, on, on the, the, the canvas chats, which I really like as well. Their only mistake in this release, in my opinion, is they should have came out with some Oyster Flex, um, like, like true, you know, looking, looking rubber straps and just go all the way. I think what they should do, the only way they lose is, is if in the next six to nine months, they don't release a bunch of cool dials on this format. To me, they, they should use a Chronomaster Sport format. Look at all the forums. Look for every cool thing that people want it done to a Rolex Daytona and do it to the Chronomaster Sport and let people 
have a watch and they don't have to wait on a wait list, help your dealers out because there are a lot of dealers out there. You know, COVID's still going on and business um, isn't good for everybody. And, and pieces like this helps that mom and pop dealer out there who maybe really, really needs it and selling some Xena Chronomaster Sports close to retail really helps them out. So the more fun that Xena has, the more I think it's good for us as a collector base and it's just good for the whole community because at the end of the day, it's a great watch. If it was um, not a good quality watch or you know a, a different brand or brand that just came out of nowhere with a watch that looked like this, I think all the, the energy and some of the aggressiveness would, would, would have been warranted. But look, there there's Chronomasters up here you know, the, the average range is really like 10, 10 to 11, 10 to 12. Now, of course, I don't think, you know, they'll all go over retail. And I do think it's something that it becomes a watch. You get it retail, you get a little bit of a discount. But I don't think this is a $6,000 watch. I think this is a sign that it doesn't have to be a Rolex. It doesn't have to be a Paddock. It doesn't have to be AP, AP. It doesn't have to be Jorn to be something that people like and something that people respect. And we need to celebrate these types of uh these types of watches. Maybe this particular watch, like, hey, it's too much of a homage, but maybe the other watches in the Xena catalog that we really like that just came out or the other watches and so many um, brands that come out. Let, let's try to, you know, let, let, I don't we got to turn the boat a little bit because we, we're, we're at a very dangerous place in my, in my opinion because I don't I think we're at a point where retail price almost doesn't matter for some brands. Like there are certain brands where, you know, you say the name and you wouldn't pay full retail when you walked in walk into a dealer and that's very it's not a good place for the brand to be and then there's other watches like your Rolex and your Paddocks of the world where you can't even touch the watch at the retail price so and that is the flip side of the coin so on both sides retail is slowly becoming irrelevant and we need to kind of I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't have all the answers here I'm not a watch economist by any means but I do know that we need to find a way to, to center the, the, the marketplace again center what we consider uh, the true value for a watch and what somebody should be paying for a watch. And we really have to get out the habit of, I, I need 40% off of X brand because it's like Rolex, AP, or Paddock, or Jordan, or something like that. We need to get back to a place where, you know, you, you're okay with, with a 10% off, 15% off. You're, you know, with, you know, so, so, something like that. We really need to get back to that place where maybe we do pay closer retail to watches. Now, it's not all on us on consumers. Sure, ten thousand percent. It's on the brands as well, and they need to stop. They need to start. Excuse me. They need to start buying pre-owned inventory back from their consumers. They need to have real established, certified pre-owned departments, just like the car industry. So you know, in my opinion, watches. The watch industry has acted like um, uh, the car industry doesn't exist, right? And the car industry really gave them a great blueprint on how the watch world, the watch industry would work. Many, many cars are made. You sell them new, right? You're trying to sell new watches every year, trying to sell new cars every year, but you're making, so you're producing, you're producing. And you're trying to sell the person that you sold last year into watch this year. Well, what happens to the watch last year? You know, not everybody's going to keep 100 watches in their collection. Most people, honestly, when it gets to like four or five, they start thinking about changing things around, especially if you're struggling higher in value. You know, not everybody has to just keep hoarding. So then you have this pre-owned world. And, you know, Let's say in the early, uh, late 1990s and early 2000s, it was kind of there, sort of there. Nobody really wanted to buy pre-owned and uh, maybe you kind of dipped in. Maybe you bought from your friend or you bought from the forums and there was a, a few guys out there who really started to do it. It was really Rolex and really big commodity things like that. And, you, you know, the, the big vintage guys were there and it was really more on the vintage side and it slowly 
get into 2000, get to 2010s when I, when I jump in. And that's when you saw there were a lot of guys in, in the space. And, you, you know, I went to a lot of the wholesale shows and stuff like that. And you could see, you know, it was slowly getting bigger and bigger. And of course, it was, there was a huge space, but the, the public eyes were on the space a little bit more. Let's say that the space existed forever, way more than I would, I would know. But the public eye on the space really be, be, began to grow. And, you know, pre-owned companies like, you know, Watchbox and Watch You Want back then and, you know, so many guys really started to get their online presence bigger and get, got bigger on forums and you really start to, pre, to see the pre-owned market really establish, establish themselves. And, you know, when I started um, with, with What You Want in um, uh, 20, 2013, it was all Panerai. And you saw the Panerai market was insane. Pretty much any Panerai you bought, you could sell over retail. You could flip Panerai the same way people, the same way people right now are flipping Rolex and um, APs. People are flipping Panerais. You're, you're flipping Bronzos and limited editions and, you know, boutique specials and things like that. And that, that was the norm. We were regularly playing um, uh, retail or over retail for many, many Panerai, um, Panerai models out there. Now you flip to 2021 and that's a brand where went up and down in terms of pre-owned market pricing. And right now it, it struggles on the pre-owned side in terms of how close it is to retail pricing, you know, de depending on the model. And that's because just in, in my opinion, just overproduction of SKUs. They started to remake all the SKUs with the newer movements. They, they, they lost sight of their hardcore panoristi. And, uh, you know, so they're, they're hardcore supporters. And that's the thing a lot of watch industry um, brands or, or, or reps or people, whatever, sometimes miss is, is the people at the end of the day. You know, I'm somebody who I started selling watches you know, in the Caribbean to cruise ship tourists, uh, you know, people who are just walking in. So I met the end user every day. And every day, that's my life. I speak directly to the end user. I get their feedback. You know, so I I really, you know, have a pulse on the market where somebody who is in, you know, a big office somewhere who doesn't want to get that pulse, if they're, if they're not visiting stores on a regular basis, if they're not, you know, talking to, to managers and, and checking in in different regions across the world, they won't know what the market wants. They just think, hey, if we push something out, um, it'll sell. And so, you know, th th this is a long thing, but we're going to go, we're going to discount just a little bit here because I think discounting is um, a big piece of the whole pie. I think discounting and waitlisting Waitlisting is something, uh, they're, they're married. They're married very, very much, and, and this is what I'll explain. So, you know, in a nutshell, for somebody who doesn't really know how, you know, bigger bigger brands and manufacturers and, and, and watch groups work, is basically they make, the, they make the watches, and then they sell the watches to a distributor. Now, sometimes that distributor may be themselves or another third-party ent entity or a partnership, et cetera. So let's say, you know, CQ... CQ has a watch company in Switzerland. CQ Watch sells it to CQ Watch USA. CQ Watch USA then sells it to either smaller distributors or directly to the retailers. Now, at CQ Switzerland has one cost, adds a little bit of a markup, sells it to CQ USA. There's, there's a markup there. And then CQ USA sells it to distributors, retailers, blah, blah, blah. And then there's, they have a little bit, you know, and that margin... From retail to cost on, on, a, on a, a brand new product for authorized dealer, it could be as small as 25%. Uh, excuse me, it could be, on average, it could be as small as 25%, sometimes larger to 40, 45%. Those have shrunk. You know, before I got in the industry, I, you know, I, I've heard rumors of, you know, costs that were 
60% um, margins and things like that, that had to shrink over time because of the discounting situation. They, there was so much meat on the bone that a lot of retailers would discount because they were allowed to make, they did so much meat on the bone. So they still got their profit and that just kind of created this trickle effect where everybody was discounting. So brands said, hey, we got to up the, we got to dec decrease your profit margin there to make sure that you're not discounting too much and can kind of have some type of level to it. So now what happens in situations like these is, you know, let's say I'm a, you know, I'm a rep for CQ watches, right? And I go to you, Mr. You know, store owner and Mr. Store owner, CQ watches are really good. You should get them. Blah, blah, blah. And now we have an agreement. So now in that agreement, let's say, you know, in my catalog of CQ watches, there's 40 SKUs. Of those 40 SKUs, 10 SKUs are like scorching, white hot. As soon as you get them in, you can sell them. You can make really, really good money on them. But the next 30 SKUs, they're not then they're okay. They're all right. And maybe if you work hard and really like to sell them, you know, you'll sell them. And, but if you don't work hard or sell them, you're going to, they're going to sit, right? No matter what, you're buying all 40 watches from me. So you're cutting me the check for all 40 watches. And now my, my job as a rep, you know, is done technically is, Hey, I, I sold my watches to the, the retail. The retailer's job is not to get it out to the end user, but how he does that is, is, you know, is his own business. So what happens is the first 10 watches sell, they sell great. Boom, boom, boom. And then those 30, they take a while to sell. Now, depending on the situation you're in, if you're, you know, somebody who has a lot of capital, you've been in business for many, many years, hey, you have all the time in the world, you don't need this guy, you won't get all your profit. Now, if you're in a situation where you don't have that much capital, maybe you have a lot of overhead, maybe you're in an area where, you know, your rent is extraordinarily high because you're in a tourist area. Maybe there, there's so many different things, um, you know, bills got to get paid. At the end of the day, and bill collectors don't take IOUs. They don't take uh, watches as payments, um, and you know they, they just kind of want their money. So what happens is you discount. You discount to sell your watches. You discount to move your product. Right now, this kind of isn't a bad thing. You know, it's, it's a way of sacrificing your profit to gain business from consumer and consumers respect that relationship for the most part. And usually if you're a quality authorized dealer, you're not discounting 20, 30% because you don't have to, because your service, all these things that you provide really are worth that, you know, your client not going on the gray market or something like that. Um, but what would you have happened? What has happened, you know, in probably the past 20 years, you know, we've had a few, we had a recession, we had a few financial situations in there. So you had a lot of periods where brands, just want to push product out. Dealers just want to move those products to keep the brands happy. And then there's gray market guys who grab up the in-between. There's, you know, clients who say, hey, there's no way I'm going to pay, you know, retail because I can see the gray market guy. Gray market guy is going to give it to me brand new with the warranty, everything, 35 off. Why would I ever buy brand new? Um, and then it trickles down to the pre-owned because the pre-owned, you know, you got to sell at least 20%, at least 50% off if you could get it brand new with 35% off. So it makes sense. So then you just have this trickle effect. So now the, 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 that one user who really loves the CQ watch, who like, you know, saw all the videos, who, you know, loved the story, who, oh, you know, and he said, hey, I'm going to pay full retail. I want to pay full retail plus tax because I love my authorized dealer or I love the boutique, blah, blah, blah. Now, let's say he wants to change up his collection. He goes to trade that watch. He has a very, very bad experience. You know, he he gets told, hey, your, your watch is, uh, 
you know, worth 60 to 70% less than what you paid for it. He, you know, has a, a mild little panic attack, depending on the dollar amount. He, you know, maybe yells a little bit, maybe he doesn't, but no matter what, he's not having a great experience, right? Because nobody wants to know that something, you know, we, no matter how much you spend for your watch, you work hard for your money. So I don't care if you spend a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars or a million dollars on your watch, you, you know, there's, there's some type of attachment to your to your equity, to your work, your sweat equity. Now, of course, a hundred dollar watch, you're not going to feel the same pain. But I think anything above six to seven thousand dollars, you start to, you know, you should have a real idea of what you're going to end up at if you had to move it immediately in case of, you know, a business situation pops up or life just happens and you need some quick cash for whatever reason and you want to sell, you know, a luxury asset versus something, uh, you know, something more, uh, you know, uh, hard in, in your um, in your life. So then the circle starts and then it's like, well, you know, no retailer can sell X watch, a CQ watch at full, full retail because everybody wants a discount and you see what's going on pre-owned market. And then you just have the spinning wheel of a devaluation of a brand basically. And then you have a situation where these brands are trying so hard. Some of them, not all of them. There are a lot of brands who are really not trying hard at all, but they're brands who are really spending the money on research and development, given the people what they want, but just because, you know, we're all kind of hung up in a value situation, we just say, hey, I don't even want to take a chance at the watch, this watch brand new. I'm going to wait till it comes pre-owned. Um, I'm going to grab it then. And, so, and you know, that's something I, I do advise to do, you know, so it, it's weird. I, I don't have the solutions here, but I do think in certain cases, and you know, I'm gonna stick on the Xena Chronomaster Sport. And another weird thing that popped up, um, Omega released their um, uh, Omega Seamaster 300, uh, the Beijing 2022, um, their 2022 Seamaster Olympic release. Um, and then they, they got a little bit of, of um, hate because one, uh, the 2021 Olympics haven't happened. And um, two, somebody said it looked like a, a Yacht Master Blue, which is insane because. They have been doing versions of that Seamaster 300 with the blue, maybe not with that exact bezel, but with similar style bezels um, for a long time. If you Google um, Omega Seamaster 300 electric blue, you'll see a very similar one. Um, uh, yeah, but again, so it's a very rare place where people are ready to like jump and attack. And then on the Omega, uh, the Olympic side, you know, do your Googles. Omega always releases their Olympic editions uh, one, a year and a half to two years before the Olympics. For instance, if you Googled for the, the Tokyo pieces, those are released, um, at least the, the press releases about them happened uh, mid-2018. And I think they're thinking is they, they want people to be able to actually buy the watch and wear it to the Olympics. For instance, if you were able to go to Tokyo when all this, you know, if you're able, if the, in a normal world, you go to the, the Tokyo Olympics, you go to a, a boutique in Japan, you buy the Tokyo watch and then you can wear it to the, to the games. And that's kind of the special part about it. Yeah, so I, I went a little bit long on discounting there, but let me just tie it really quickly into the waitlist factor. So when you lose money in the pre-owned market from buying things at full retail, you begin to search for things that will hold value. And then you, 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 you kind of get funneled into, at the moment, Rolex, um, Paddock, specifically the, the, the Nautilus um, family of watches, and AP, specifically the Royal Oak family of watches. And that's where most people who are very value-oriented or some people are in the investment mind in watches is a whole other story. Um, that's where everybody's focused right now. And that's where we have this big waitlist situation where everybody 
um, you know, you go to dinner, you see your friend, he, he has on a Daytona. He said, hey, man, I got it at retail. It's worth $30,000. Like, oh, my God. You're like, oh, I, I want to experience that that feeling. Um, and, you, you you know, you go out to your dealer and you, you try to get uh, that watch and you end up being put on a wait list. And then, you know, everything goes over premium and we, we have that situation. But it all really stems from the discount. If, if, if discounting wasn't as heavy as it, you know, as it got in, as, as it, blah, blah, blah. Discounting, excuse me, if discounting wasn't as heavy as it got at one point, we wouldn't get into the situation where everybody is chasing after certain blue chip brands. There was a time where everybody had such a broad view of the brands they loved, and there were so many brands that we spoke about um, on a regular basis, you know, just in the mainstream. I'm talking, talking. Yeah, as, as mainstream collectors, you know, and I feel like, you know, it's kind of went to certain brands and kind of reveal kind of everybody's got this focus on those brands. Of course, it's, it's a value world. And right now you spend this type of money, you really don't want to feel that burn. I, I, I don't, you know, who does? You know, I, I was in the car business for a little bit and it's the same thing. It's like, you know, you really don't want to lose your hard-earned hard money. But again, watches really were never meant to be, you know, financial instruments. You know, they're really meant to be things that are enjoyed, uh, you know, uh, pieces of luxury, even if it's $500, it's luxury to have a watch, right? It's luxury to have that little bit of a, of a, of an accent uh, element to your, to your wardrobe. It's your hobby, something that we love. It was never really meant to be something that you made crazy money on, especially in a short term. Now, if you said there are many people who collected many watches, many older vintage watches, and then 10, 15, 20 years passed, and then that model became popular. We all, you know, we've seen the antique road shows where, you know, guys who out in, you know, the Vietnam or different wars, you know, they bought Daytonas because they're, you know, the CEO told them to buy, buy um, Buy a Daytona, you should buy a Rolex because, you know, it's a good watch. It'll last forever. And they, they're buying things for a hundred bucks that are worth, you know, 40, 50, hundred thousand million dollars um, 30 years later. But those are really the exceptions, you know, watches, in my opinion, and the, the collecting the hobby of watches is really about buying something that you enjoy. Um, hopefully trading that for towards something else that you enjoy. Hopefully maintaining most of your value. But I also, in, in I, I put a, a really large amount of equity in the enjoyment of watch. And I really do believe that there is an enjoyment equity to a timepiece. And if there's a watch that I really, really enjoy, and you know, let's say I owned that watch for five years and three out of that five years, I wore that watch really well and almost every day. And it was always in the rotation and I have good memories with that watch. If after five years, I want to sell that watch and I noticed the past two I haven't been given that watch love. I'm not gonna feel too bad if I have to take a decent hit on that watch because I did get the enjoyment out of that piece, right? Now, of course, it, it, it's all subjective and depending on the number of the watch, that, that all be, becomes a, a whole different situation, but it, it all really should be about buying a watch you love and you really need to be very careful if you're in the mindset of, hey, I'm gonna buy X, you sell it X, because that, in my opinion, if you're going to do that, you can do that, but you need one, a lot of capital, and two, you need to have a long-term um, look on the on the watch market if you wanted to play that game. I think you don't know what will happen um, day to day. These these prices go up. They're going, you know, it's like Bitcoin now. You know, it's funny to make that um, that that analogy, but it definitely is where prices are changing every day, and you know. Uh, 
we're all in the market, you know. So so when you look at pre-owned dealers, you know, many people like to say, hey, you know, they're gouging this or that. But we all we, we are, are truly market operators, meaning I buy from the consumer, I buy from one consumer and I try to sell to another. So if I buy from one consumer and one consumer sees prices for let's say a Daytona is, you know, I, I, let's make up a number of forty thousand, he's not gonna sell me that Daytona at twenty-five thousand. So therefore I could not you know, it's hard for people to expect to find, um, you know, for us to keep the market down or like to like, you know, keep the market at a certain price because at the end of the day, we're not producing watches. We're pre-owned, um, we're pre-owned, uh, we're pre-owned market, we're pre-owned merchants. So we're buying from consumers and selling to consumers. So at the end of the day, consumers kind of set the baseline of the markets and definitely dealers are out there. They price high sometimes to test the market. That happens all the time. But when you, when you come down to like Rolex, um, AP Royal Oaks and Nautilus and things like that, it, they, they move so fast. There's just really no, uh, you know, there's, there's no real like too much of speculation um, in the mid-range. You know, if you go on Chrome 24 in the high range, that's speculation with the mid-range of those prices, um, depending on the day, of course, um, they, they're, they, they're usually moving at that price because, again, people want the watch and it's, it's, it's become a point where you can't, um, you can't get a lot of these watches without waiting or without spending um, a good chunk of change to establish your relationship with your dealer. And it's it's going to be like that for a while. Um, I, guess, I guess I'll end on uh, one more premium watch because this is fun. I, I want to get it wrapped up. Um, the 5711 was discontinued in um, late January. You know, I think this is something that we all knew that was going to happen for quite a while. Uh, Paddock is really not interested in being known as uh, a sports model brand uh, in the same way that AP seems to be a little bit more okay with being known as like the Royal Oak brand or, or that kind of just being the icon that they're really, really pushing. Uh, Paddock really it does not feel the same way. And, you know, you, you could tell that almost from the jump of the the premiums and, and things that are going on. It's like, you know, it, it, it's nice to have it sounds so well, but at a certain point, it affects your other pieces. And what, what happens is in many, you know, smaller, smaller dealers out there, you know, to sell the Nautilus, they're, they're selling some other, you know, maybe dressier pieces, but that consumer only wants the Nautilus. So then he ends up dumping the, 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 the dressier pieces, the Carl Chavas, even some complicated watches on the market um, in what most of us would think as a loss, but in the terms of him getting that knowledge and what the knowledge is valued on the market, he's actually being equal. So in his financial outlook, he's doing like a, a even situation to capture back his value and his capital. Um, but in the in market, he's actually pushing down the market because he never really wanted those those other pieces uh, to, to begin with. So, you know, we saw that pattern really creep up and creep up and keep happening. I think Paddock has been paying attention for a, for a long time. I think, you know, you notice that when they discontinued the green uh, the green Aquanaut strap that people were put putting on their um their fifty one sixty sevens and fifty one sixty fours, um, because they were like, no, we don't like that. And then we saw that that green rubber strap go for four to five thousand dollars on eBay, and people were paying um big money for those for those green straps. But Paddock discontinued it because they're very big on tradition and they're very big on this is how we want it, you know. And it, work at a paddock boutique or paddock showroom you don't um you don't change shops and watches you don't you know you don't mix and match things on a paddock it just doesn't no you know things are, are you know when you buy a watch you if somebody wants to change the strap you do it outside of the store 
right? Because in Paddock's eyes, they want things to look a certain way and um, and feel a certain way. So yeah, they, they discontinued the fifty seven eleven, which I think was a good move. Um, in 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 a dream world, I would like to see a titanium or a tungsten fifty seven eleven. Just get rid of steel altogether and just give us something really cool and funky and make it really really sporty. Um, just for fun because there are so many fifty seven elevens out there anyway. So. Uh, you know, wh why not? Um, so what's interesting is that a few weeks later, so in yeah, February 11th, so I think February 22nd and 23rd, they, uh, they discontinued the 5711. And then in February 11th, um, it, was, it was announced that Terry Stern said there would be one last final round of 5711s produced and uh, maybe something special will be done there. And you can, I can imagine that that happened because every single paddock boutique Paddock dealer, anybody associated with Paddock Philly probably got a million phone calls of people who are on the wait list for 5711s because there are people who are still promised 5711s, you know, uh, years and years out. And that's why, you know, a lot of dealers that, that, that I know and I know I worked with stopped doing wait lists because of something like this. And now it's a situation where I'm sure there are dealers out there who took deposits down on 5711s with no way to produce these watches or deliver these watches now so i'm sure when that announcement was made many calls were made like hey if, if you know if if i can't deliver this watch somebody's going to try to sue me or this or that and there are a lot of people who are taking illegal actions against dealers and, and brands and over uh, premium watches it's, it's a crazy world but there it happens um on, on an everyday basis where you know people want to, want to take legal action because they can't receive a watch. But again, this is also a lot of times tied into people taking deposits on watches that they don't know that it can deliver, which um, is not a good practice. You know, I would never take a deposit on a watch. I can't guarantee that um, that I can deliver because taking that taking your money is basically a, a contract, in my opinion, of, of like, hey, we're going to do this deal. Um, so, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see that, that final round go out. Um, the 5711 prices, of course, have... Um, already start to like hit an interesting premium with some steels going as high as you know 125 on chrono i don't think they're really hammering that high you know some guys have it you know, 152 insane i really don't think they're going to actively stay at that price i just think um people are going to try to get whatever they they can get um for the watches and um, there's just a lot of them out there. So I, I just really don't think there's over six pages of 5711s. This is including the R's and the, the special pieces as well. But still, I really don't see a world where people pay, you know, that crazy yet. It is possible. Anything's possible in this watch world because, you know, I was somebody who thought I could get a 5711 close to retail. And, you know, that's something that now for sure, for sure is not going to happen. Yeah. So, you know interesting but again it, it goes down to um it goes back to discounting and it goes back to because these other brands were not taking care of their their discounting situation their pre-owned market situation it, it created a space for something like this to happen where consumers rightfully so um after getting burned a couple of times say hey you know I'm going to live in the pre-owned space or when I dip into the new space, I want a heavy discount or I'm just going to go for a blue chip brand um, and something that's going to hold my value or make me a little bit of money. Now, there's a lot of other brands out there that you can buy and hold your value in. But a lot of people are in the mind, hey, if I can get it at retail and make you know some money on it, why not? It's a 
you know, easy win. So that's where you're going to see this weightless situation probably keep going for a while. I do know a lot of brands are actively working to try to fix it and, and have situations where the brands themselves know where every single premium watch is going in terms of who that consumer is that's going to actually own the product. So that's going to be interesting to see um, as well. But uh, either way, I think 2021 is going to be a very interesting year in the world of watches on the new side, on the pre-owned side, on everything, um, you know, the a lot of things going on with the world COVID still out there. And, you know, hopefully as, you know, vaccines go up and things go down and people are able to, you know, get out in the world and economies and stuff start to normalize a little bit more. Um, the, I think the watch space as well will kind of normalize. I don't know which way. We don't know where it's settled, but I, I, I do see some sort of stability um, on the horizon, especially for other brands. Beyond just the big blue chips, I do things. I, I see Zenith growing. I see, um, you know, we always talk about Moser, we always talk about Elon Sun. Um, I just see independence growing. Gronfeld is a great example. They're already pretty much sold out. I don't think anybody can get anything new. Um, Ramon Gauthier, they're, they're doing well as well. All, all the independents are really, Laurent Ferrier, uh, everybody's um, slowly doing better and better because people are now. They're going, they saw what happened with Jordan, right? And Jordan is a situation where very low production meets great watches, meets, you know, collectors with deep pockets, meets just a perfect storm. So now everybody is like, well, that means it's okay to buy independence. If I could buy independent and maybe not lose money on it, maybe actually make some money, maybe retain the value. Where for a long time, a lot of independence, pre-owned dealers didn't even touch because they just didn't know about it. To be honest with you, many pre-owned dealers didn't know about uh, a lot of these independent brands, so they didn't even touch them. So that the market was never able to really stabilize itself unless it was consumer to consumer and things like that. But you go to like a and you know even bigger dealers were like, hey, we just there is no market. You know what do you sell a carryover to Lennon for two years ago? What you know what do you sell a Dufour for? You know it has to go to auction, right? It has to, it has to go to the truest market for it to to find out because what. Nobody, it's a real question mark for what it sells for. So I think this will definitely be um, a good, a good, a good, um, a good way for independent brands and other brands that are willing to move like independence, like like a Zenith, like Breitling, uh, which is an independent brand um, that I, I give the biggest kudos because they last year did one of the best things to me and they released watches and then they were able to deliver watches the next week and they did that with. Um, Three or four different models, probably probably more than that. They're all like under six thousand, all accessible, easy to get. They had the, the the endurance bright light piece. It was like you know a three to thirty five hundred on a rubber, just nice fun. It's a super quartz watch. It sold out. The white color, I think, is still um, on back order. The white is is the most popular for them. But it just shows you if you're able to make a quality product, if you're able to speak to your consumer, whether it be on social media or whatever. But if you're able to connect to your consumer and deliver the product in a timely manner where it's not, you know, nine months from announcement to delivery, you can make some business and you can make a comeback. Because the Breitling now, compared to even when I got in the industry in 2000, um, 2011, is different. They changed. Back then, they were known as big, bulky watches. And I'm, I'm a fan. I love the Super Avenger. And, you know, I used to wear the 47s or 48s, and they slowly realized that they needed to taper their sizes down to get into a more broad audience. The watch world really pivoted very fast away from large watches for the most part. So they needed to, to get into those other consumers in other markets. They needed smaller pieces. So they made the Premier. They made the Super Ocean Heritage. They made all these great um, all these great models. And now they're just 
you know, in my opinion, they're winning and they're doing very, very good things. And uh, kudos to them and kudos to, you know, all the independents, all the brands out there that are, you know, pushing right now more than ever to capture the consumers back. And they're not going to sit on the, the wayside and let, you know, the, the, the way the world is at the moment, take the steam out of their engines. And, you know, it's a great time, you know, for these younger brands or these brands that are able to, to pivot or move a little bit faster to um have some fun make some cool products and at the end of the day um the winners and all this i think will be the consumers and the collectors and the lovers of watches because that just means a lot of great pieces are coming out and a lot of people are going to be fighting for um the attention of the watch lovers out there so that, that sounds like a win-win to me all right either way guys i hope you guys enjoyed uh this episode two of the Thailand podcast remember if you want to hear me talk about something specific email me at cq at the please use the subject line Thailand podcast and i'll make sure to um reach out back to you and uh answer your topic here and we'll have a lot more fun all right guys uh, have a great day buy what you love peace out